huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Welcome to More Money Secrets. I'm Rob Moore, and this is head producer of the brand, Harry Kumar. Harry here is going to grill me on the truth about money, how money really works, the darker side of the money system. Rob, how does money really work? It depends on your definition of money, because we have barter, which is an exchange of goods and services directly without any universally agreed monetary replacement system. Then we have what you might deem as real money, like something that universally measures every product and service that we interchange with, like gold, precious metals. And then we have fiat money. And fiat money is debt created by central banks, i.e. governments, because you're led to believe that central banks and governments are independent of each other. They're not. They're one and the same thing. Uh, And uh, a central bank is a profit-making corporation. And you're led to believe that is a public service. The central banks and the government are here to serve the people. No, they are not. They are are corporate machines. They are profit-making entities. So the current form of universally agreed money is the fiat system. And fiat currency is debt. And you can't turn on a printer over there or a laptop over there and make your own money and lend it out. Not legally. No, (laughs) not legally. But wouldn't that be a nice thing to be able to do? Well, that's what central banks and governments are able to do. They can essentially make an infinite amount of money created as debt or digital ones and zeros And then they can lend it, they can invest it, and they can put it into the money supply. They can inflate um, money, which means devalue it. So money in its current form really is a depreciation of value and worth and a profit-making monopoly of wealth. So is money just currency then? Well, currency and money are different. The origin of the word currency is curare, which is Latin for flow. So money loves speed and money hates friction. Money works best when it flows. So for example, if I give you this 20 and then you go and put it in your pocket and then you go home and then you put it under your mattress. Mm. That ends the flow. So that 20 
came from me, so I had 20. Went to you, you had 20, so 20 plus 20 is 40. And, and then it stopped. So when money is hoarded and money doesn't flow, it doesn't reflect its true nature. So the way money reflects its true nature is to flow where you buy something off someone, they give you 20 pounds worth of products or services, and the faster money flows, the more value that is created out of this idea of, of money. So currency is a form of money and curare means to flow. So this is why when you hoard money, you never get rich. You cannot get rich hoarding money. So let's say I saved 20% of my salary. Bearing in mind, I've probably paid about 50% of my salary in tax. So I'm saving 20% of the remaining 50%. So I'm actually saving 10% of the gross and 20% of the net. The average salary for someone might not even reach three grand a month. So you're saving 300 a month. Like, you need 15 lifetimes to save 300 a month in order to build wealth. And saving is a form of hoarding. So this is a big myth in society and money that you can save your way to wealth. The central banks and the governments want you to believe that, why? Because they're the ones that will take your money as savings. The banks need your money to make profit. If the bank said, oh Harry, we need your money because we wanna lend it out and invest it out and we wanna make profit on it and you're gonna take all the risk and we're gonna get all the reward, give us your money, come to daddy, of course, you're gonna be like, no way. So what they're like is, oh, we'll help you with your pension, we'll help you with your future, we'll give you a nice little return, a nice little nest egg, come and sit on the nice sofas that we've put in our new banks, come and talk to um, a manager who can give you wealth advice. I once went into Barclays, I was already a millionaire, I had, a lot of money in my current account, let's call it 600 grand, it was enough, whereby when someone sees that in the bank, they basically get an erection and they want to take all that money off you. And they're in the guise of, oh, oh, sir, we can help you invest this money. So a 20 something year old kid who stood on the desk at Barclays Bank, pulled me aside to start giving me advice on what I should do with my money. The kid is probably making 30 grand a year and the bank just wants my money. So <laughs> the system is not designed for you to get rich. It's designed for it to get rich. It's playing Monopoly and it's the banker. The central banks are the banker and the banker could just go into the box and go, oh, more money, oh, more money, fuck you. The, another, let's look at hoarding again. Um, you probably have a friend or know someone who's tight-fisted, who never shares, never spends, never gives anyone anything. No one gives that person any money. So if, any, so if you hoard money, the world looks at you and goes, that person does not share, does not give, Money doesn't flow through that person. Money stops at that person. That person is selfish. I'm not going to give that person any money. So you hoard out of fear. People hoard out of fear. If you believed that money was abundant, i.e. it would keep flowing through you, you would never hoard because you'd know you could attract more money. 
But people who live in fear of not having any money hoard the small amount of money they've got. Oh, thanks. What's going in my pocket? You're not ever getting any of that again. And you'll never give me any money again. And you'll never buy anything from me again. So money's true purpose and nature is to flow. The opposite of hoarding. Now, don't just go and spray your money everywhere. And saving, all right, I've just knocked saving as a... Um, saving won't make you rich. But saving is a bridge to investing. And investing will make you rich. Do you always carry cash? I always carry cash. Why? Um, number one is you never know when your phone battery might die and you might have a car crash or in your instance, a motorbike <laughs> crash, or you might be stuck in the middle of nowhere or you might just need money. So um, I feel like if I've got 500 quid, 1,000 quid in my pocket, I've probably got enough money there in case I get stuck somewhere or... <laughs> God forbid the phone battery dies. Also, I carry a lot of cash in my pocket. Well, it's not a lot of cash. It's a lot of cash for most people. Um, because I feel like if I always have cash, there's a sense of abundance around money. I can be generous with money. I can always throw a big tip um, and keep the money flow going. Because I wrote in my book, Money, an example of a billionaire. Now, people think that billionaires are greedy and they hoard all the wealth and they don't pay any tax. This is not true. If a billionaire has a driver, a billionaire is hiring a driver and a driver's getting their mortgage paid. And then if a billionaire has seven cars, they bought a car off Aston Martin and Ferrari and Lamborghini and they get serviced every year and so the mechanics get paid. And let's say they have a private jet and there's a crew of four. Well, the crew of four earn their salary and, and you know, you've got the, the fuel that you fill. And let's say they, they have a couple of security guards who are getting their salary paid and their mortgage is paid. And actually, the more money you have, the more money that flows through you and the more people you can employ and the more tips you can give and the more things you can buy. You can go to a new city and put money into that economy. So billionaires aren't just people who make money and hoard it, billionaires or, or multimillionaires are people who've learned to have money flow through them, i.e. they can attract a lot, they spend a lot, they have an abundant mindset around money whereby they know they can always attract more and they're happy to spend more. So th there's a circular flow. Whereas most people, it comes to them and they squander it and spend it so there's no outflow or they have a, a hoarding or a scarce mentality. I'm, I'm, you know, the economy, oh, I'm broke, oh, I need that rainy day money. So money comes to them and then they hoard it. And then people in the end go, well, there's no point giving that person any money because it never flows. And because people don't know this consciously, do they? But I wrote the book on it. <coughs> oh God, I've I wrote the book on it called Money. Right, so in the last five years, or if, you add up all the thousands of transactions I've done, I would say it's got to be less than 1% I have spent physical cash on. So is that good or is that Orwellian? Um, you mean cash? Yeah, things I have paid. If you take the last five years of transactions I have paid for anything, not even 1% of my transactions I've paid with physical cash, notes, pound coins. It's all been digital. Yeah. So remember the saying that I wrote in my book, Money. Money loves speed and hates friction. So anywhere where money can 
flow faster, its true nature will be exaggerated. So at one point, let's say 30 years ago, cash might have been one of the quickest ways to exchange money. Cash is much quicker. You're making shoes. I'm a farmer. I've slaughtered a cow. I want a pair of shoes off you. I'm like, mm, that's worth a leg. You're like, I want two legs. All right, I'll go and get you two legs. I've butchered up the two legs for you. It takes you a week to make a pair of shoes because you're a cobbler and we're exchanging. I've got my two shoes. You've got your two legs. You're happy. I'm happy. But that exchange could have taken two weeks and it's not divisible and you can't store that meat. Money is a great store of value. Like you, you might have a 20 pound note in your pocket that might have come to you two years ago from a product or service that you exchanged for that. But you can't store those two legs of meat for two years. So money is a great store of value compared to barter. But barter is slow and inefficient. So cash or gold or some form of money or some form of money or currency is a quicker form of exchange. Now, digital exchange is a quicker form than cash. So if you needed to buy something that was £10,000, it's going to be quicker to do it on your banking app than it is in cash. Because you have to go down the bank. The bank would do a load of security checks. The bank would use the guise of money laundering to make it really fucking hard for you to get 10 grand in cash out. But in reality, they don't want you to have your cash back. Why would the banks want you to have your cash back? How does it, how does it benefit the banks that you get your cash back? While the banks have your cash, they can lend it and invest it and earn on it. When you have your cash back, they can't earn any money. So people think, oh yeah, money laundering, anti-money laundering. This, this. Like, it's fucking ridiculous that you have to fight to get your own money out of the bank. Do you know in Lebanon, one guy held up a bank yeah. to rob the bank to get his own money out. Like, it's almost at the stage now where if I want to go to Barclays and get out half a million pounds, I'd have to rob the fucking bank for my own money. So anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here, back to cash. So cash is no longer the quickest form of monetary exchange. So therefore, digital transactions become more ubiquitous than cash because cash is slower. Now, cryptocurrency could be an even quicker or better exchange of money, could be, and therefore could become more ubiquitous and could even replace banking apps. But there's more other factors at play here. If you have cash, you have the potential to do business behind the back of the government and the central banks i.e. someone could sell you something for cash, you could exchange cash for it, and you could bypass some tax. Does that serve the governments and central banks? No. So would it be in the governments and central banks' best interest in terms of making maximum profit to get rid of cash? Yes. Now, here's the problem. Take away cash, take away freedom. What about the millions of people that don't actually have online banking? Do you know there's millions of people even in the UK that don't have an internet connection, can't get on the internet, don't use banking apps? How is it fair if they're not allowed to use cash anymore? 
And a lot of people, they manage their budgeting through cash. It's much easier to budget by going, okay, I've earned my two grand this month. I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to draw out 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 120, 140, 160, Okay, so I've drawn out 200. That's my spending for the month. It's much easier to budget like that than it is to just keep getting your phone and going, tap, 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 shit, I spent 500 and I only had a budget of 200. Mm. All these people are going to get fucked when there's no cash. Um, but do the government even care? Well, the government is made up of many states, many boroughs within a state, and many individual politicians within a borough or a council within a state. So in a way, it's a little bit unfair to slap. There's no one world government and there's no one person, the evil, greedy bastard zillionaire who runs the one world government. Um, so many politicians probably care more about their own career than the good of the people. And those rare politicians that really care about the good of the people are probably stuck in a system that doesn't really care about the people. I remember Nigel Farage, he said to me, there are two types of politicians. Those that want to be someone and those that want to do something. And he reckoned that most of the politicians wanted to be someone, i.e. look at me, I'm a politician, I'm a celebrity, I'm a superstar, I've got this amazing career. He said the best politicians, the type of politicians we need are the people who want to do something, i.e., for example, I want to teach the world how money really works. And I want to give people a real life financial education. That's not being someone, that's doing something. I want to let people know how the governments work around money, how the central banks work around money, how to build wealth. And not just to criticise them, because if someone sold me all central banks for £1 million. If I could buy all the central banks for £1 million and I could run the central banks, would I, would I buy that? That would be below market value. You know, like, I'd love to sit here and say I'm a morally and ethically superior human being to whoever's involved in the central banking system. But what the central banking system is, is a very smart business model. Now, according to some theories, it's a cartel set up of the richest people in the world um, in order to control banks and use them as a profit-making entity. And in some ways, when I look at how that was created, it was smart. It was a joint venture between some of the richest people on the planet. Because do I want to make maximum profit in my business? Of course I want to make maximum profit in my business. So it's not that I think... Sometimes I think that the central banking system is a scam. But actually, it's not that the system is a scam. It's that the system is X, but they tell you it's Y. Like, if you knew, you know people who are inherently selfish, but they're honest about it. Or people who, um, you know people who are maybe a little bit selfish or a little bit greedy, or they're a, a little bit capitalist, or they're just focused on making money. You accept that about them if they're honest about that. I've had a boss who, where the issue lies is if people are, are fraudulent and they're making out to be something that they're not. And we need a re-education 
on how the banks, the central banks, actually work and what their motive is. And when you understand their motive, well then, that's on you if you're going to go and lend them money. How do you escape the rat race? Um, well, the rat race, like a hamster in a wheel, is when you are employed in a job you don't enjoy, but you feel stuck. Like if a hamster tried to get out of the wheel, but the wheel has got so much momentum. I don't know if you've seen those images where the hamster's running in the wheel like that, but in the end, the wheel's got so much momentum. If the hamster stops running, it just goes round and round and round and up, upside down. That's the rat race. Now, being employed is not the rat race. And a lot of people mistake this. The rat race is when you have lost your way, you're in a job you hate, and you feel stuck, and you haven't yet made the decision to come out. And you're paying 50 and 60 and 70% of everything that you earn and spend in tax, and you've got your student loans, and you've got your car loans, and you've got your mortgage loans, and you've got your 2.4 children and your two cars, and there's too much month at the end of the money instead of a load of money at the end of the month, that's the rat race. Now, if you're a doctor, a dentist, or a lawyer, and you're employed and you love your work, you're not in the rat race. Because to me, to get out of the rat race is to love what you do and do what you love and turn your passion into profession, or to start a business and love business so that you can reduce your tax, and you can have money left at the end of the month. Money is choice. Money is freedom. So when you pay a lot of tax, not only do you have less money, but you have less choice and therefore you have less freedom. So to escape the rat race is to love what you do or to start a business or to become an entrepreneur or to turn your passion into your profession. I've got a video here. I want you to watch it and oh. react to it. Now, this alludes to some of the stuff we've been talking about before. It's involved. Involves our... Uh, oh, Andrew! haven't <laughs> seen Andrew for a little while <laughs> on my socials. You do not understand that. Money is not real. The reason you do not understand that is because you're living inside the matrix. You must escape most of the things they've told you. The judicial system is not real. The financial system is not real. It's real. I know you want and it's not real to me. And I can take some of this not real entity and give it to someone who believes in it. They give up their time and their life doing what I want. Someone that isn't even real. For you to make as much of it as possible, you need to start understanding. It's a matrix trick. And I'm going to allow you to learn inside of the real world. 19 modern wealth creation methods. Things you won't hear anyone else say. Things that are not taught on YouTube. Only I will teach you. 500k. Well over six figures. Consistently doing 10 grand a day. Around 35,000. Inside Andrew takes the real world. So money is and money isn't real. In that, how money isn't real is that money is created as debt and then the system lends and invests that money and makes profit and lends it to you and makes profit out of you. The system didn't earn it, like you have to earn it. The system didn't exchange goods and services and, value, and fair value for it, like you have to exchange goods and services and fair value for it. The system just created it out of nothingness. In that regard, money isn't real. But 
as soon as we hold an idea to be real, like in God we trust and, you know, we believe that um, we will receive equal value to this piece of paper that we hold. Once we believe it's real, then it's real to us. So it's a complicated... Like I said, the monetary system is set up to make profit for the central banks under the guise that it benefits humanity. And it does benefit humanity, but not like we're told and sold. So if I want to buy 100 grams of, 300 grams of beef, a steak, is it easier for me to do that or grow and hunt and kill and butcher my own meat? Of course, that is way easier. So in that regard, it's an amazing tool, money. It's not all nefarious and it's not not real. It, money is a tool. But how we've been sold by the system. Now, you know... I've got a good relationship with Andrew. But that was a sales video for his membership site. Mm. So that's a nice little segue in because that thing that he said that isn't really still wants some of you off of it so you can join his membership site. So here's the thing. We can make anything real or anything imagined. Like, is it real that I have millions of pounds in the bank? Yes, that's real. But... It's not real yet, the hundreds of millions or the billions I might make for the rest of my life. But if I learn the skills and traits to do that, I will be able to manifest that out of the ether, turn the intangible into the tangible, the ethereal into the real, the unmanifest into the manifest. Your bizarre podcast with Chris Eubank. <laughs> Infamous in so many ways, and whoever has not seen that podcast, go check it out. Just search Chris Eubank, I'm sure you will find it. Now, really thinking about that interview, it's kind of, there's, there's a small part of it which is kind of perfectly fit into our context and our discussion here today. Now, obviously, that conversation was absolutely bizarre in every single way, but Tense. Th there are moments of little bits of gold, you know, there are diamonds hidden amongst so much shit and mud. And there's one comment Chris said, and you were talking about money with him, and he said, money is my bitch. Do you actually think that's good advice to how to, if you can, if you want to master money, first you need to make money your bitch. Okay, so <laughs> I quite enjoyed when he said that. Um, I would say money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. So maybe that's the more eloquent way of saying money is my bitch. Floyd Mayweather on our interview said, I make my money, money doesn't make me. And I like that as well. So if you make money a servant to a great life for yourself, i.e. you travel well, you eat well, you live long, you use money for gratitude, you have some life experiences that maybe only money could buy. 
because you know people say the best things in life are free i say the best things in life cost a lot of money so if you can use money to serve you in a great life then money is your bitch but if there's always a load of month left at the end of the money if in many areas of you if in many areas of your life you're starving because you don't have enough money if you're always chasing the next paycheck and always behind on the bills then money has become your master and you are money's bitch because here's the thing people think that rich people obsess about money i would argue when you're broke you obsess about money much more yeah because i never worry about not having enough money and that is a, a worry i am really glad not to have like i've got plenty of shit to deal with in my life plenty of problems so not having money problems is liberating because when i was 50 grand in debt every day i was worried about being able to afford filling up the car with petrol. I'd go to Tesco or a supermarket and buy some things I actually needed and pray that I could put the card in and there'd be enough. And then I'd, oh, can I have 20 pound cash back? And pray that there was 20 pounds that I could get cash back. So every day I would worry about not having enough money. And now I never worry about having not enough money. And that's liberating. So you could say, that money is a great servant or money is my bitch. Um, but people don't understand this. They think that rich people, you, you know, they're greedy and they're obsessed about money. But many of the most greedy people I've seen are broke. Because you have to hoard the little you have when you're broke. Imagine we're all starving hungry and there's a bit of food over there. We're all gonna go and kill each other for that bit of food. And then we're going to, I'm going to steal off of you or I'm going to take as much as I can get and I'm not going to share. And then I'm going to go and hoard and protect what I've got. That's what being broke is like. Whereas if there's an abundant amount of food, I can take my fair share, give you my fair share and I can give some of mine to someone else. And that's how money works. Why do you think humans react like that? That scarcity mentality? We're programmed to survive. And we're programmed that in order to survive, we need to be selfish. Like if I'm selfless in survival, I'll die before you. If I'm selfish in survival, you'll die before me. Now, in a modern society, thankfully, we don't have to make those binary choices between you starving or me starving. But you know, when you watch all these zombie movies, yeah, you yeah. see this and all humans will revert back to that survival instinct of them and their loved ones if we are starving. And one of the best ways in the modern world of money to not be starving, i.e. to be able to be selfless, not selfish, is to be rich. I've got another video for you. This is from your good friend, Mr. Cardone, when he was at um, ah, one of your events. I haven't seen Grant for a little while. Got 100 pounds, my man. Big, big player, right? You always got his money right, okay? Here's 50 pounds. I'm giving, I'm giving you guys a finance class right now. Money? It's a piece of paper. It's worthless. It's garbage. It's made up. It's fiat. Back in the day, man, they were carrying valuable 
walked around with, carrying gold and rubies and diamonds. You couldn't get rid of that easy. They're like, we got to get people liquid. We got to get it easy for the money to roll around town. Who's got a match? I just want to show you. I can tear it, I can burn it, and I can lose it. But what do you guys do? You take a piece of worthless paper that somebody told you what it was worth and then traded that for another piece of paper that somebody said, oh, this is worth something. What I do is I accumulate lots of paper every way I can by working hard. I trade time for paper, and I take all leftover paper, and I buy bricks and concrete and steel and income. At 100 pounds. Is Grant right about money? Yes and no. So the paper that's worthless isn't worthless because it's our universally agreed form of exchange. So is this worth 20 pounds in its physical value? No. Is this worth 20 pounds in its ethereal worth? Yes. So this has value. It's not worthless paper. What Grant is saying is this paper or polymer without the concept of universal exchange of value is worth nothing. And if you hoard this paper, i.e. you become a slave to the paper and you're just trying to earn paper and save paper, what he's saying is that's worth nothing and it's going down in value through inflation. So, because Grant contradicted himself there because he says paper is worthless, but I trade my time for paper. So it's not worthless. Having paper for long term without physical assets is what he's saying is worthless. And I agree with him on that. So I do the same as Grant. I trade my time, my knowledge, assets, other resources like other people and software and systems. And I trade all of those for as much paper as I can earn, millions of pounds, tens of millions of pounds, hundreds of millions, millions of pounds worth of paper or digits, not just paper now, digits in a, in a savings or um, current account. And then I invest that into assets because paper come, paper go. But when you have an asset, that asset keeps pumping out the paper. Every day, every week, every month, it just keeps pumping out the paper. So what you want to do is you want to earn the paper, invest the paper into an asset, and the asset prints the paper. Do you think Grant is too aggressive with his strategy? Because he's spoken about it with us many times and on other podcasts and on his own content, that he tries to keep as absolutely as little physical cash liquid as possible. Every bit of money he is just pumping into real estate. But when something like the pandemic happened, and you know, he had over a billion dollars worth of real estate, that could have gone very wrong if he defaulted on his mortgages. So is he too aggressive with how he's investing his money? Well, um, Grant said to me that at the start of every year, he wants to be hungry for that next year. So he starts every year with no cash. But what does no cash mean? Because no cash to Grant might be down to the last 10 million. And honestly, do I think Grant completely empties his bank account to zero to be hungry? No. Because I agree that you want to be hungry in order to grow. Because sometimes when I have the most amount of cash, I have the least amount of hunger. 
because having a lot of cash is comfortable. It feels nice. You know you can buy and do things. So I, I get the art of being lean by having minimal cash holdings. Number one, if you've got minimum cash holdings and maximum assets, you're protecting from inflation. You're increasing income. But, so that's good. But if you have too low a cash holding, any slight swing in the value of your properties, especially commercial real estate, where if you go under certain low to value covenants, they can actually, like one of our loans, which is about 15 million quid, if we go under a loan to value covenant, the percentage we go under that, they can ask us for the money. So let's say we've got a 15 million loan, the market drops, and we go 2 million underwater, i.e. we're in negative equity by 2 million. They can, the banks can say, we want that 2 million. Give it to us. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I saw it in the last recession. Um, I knew people who owned big shopping centres in the UK. And the banks just said, oh, we'll have that 3 billion loan back, thanks. And if you don't have cash, you're fucked. Now, you could argue, all right, well, I might be able to go and raise cash because I've got to be resourceful. Um, so I think you need a percentage of cash in your portfolio. And depending on interest rates, because if interest rates are 15%, is cash good? Yes, because you're earning 15% on it. So when interest rates are high, I probably want more cash. When interest rates are 0.5%, is cash good? No. When there is a recession and crash and assets are going really cheap, is it good to have cash to buy them all? Yes. I saw someone who's quite a well-known influencer say at the moment he's got 25% of his holdings in cash. For me, that's a bit too much. But I can see why he would like that. Warren Buffett says he's holding quite a high percentage of cash at the moment. Why? Because cash buys assets quickly. So if there's assets and all of a sudden they're cheap and there's a race to get those cheap assets, the person with the cash can buy them quickly. So depends on the market. I would always look at your portfolio and I would be aware of the percentages of holdings that you have. So for example, Mark and I, are, we have quite high exposure in real estate. Isn't it a paradox that I have 360 property units and 1,350 tenants in my portfolio. And you'd think that's good because of the amount of money that makes and equity and growth. But that is also exposure to risk. If you have a load of retail and you're dominating the high street, but then there's a lockdown, you have exposure to risk. Or Amazon launches. You know, Amazon killed a load of retail. So upside has downside. And so too much cash, exposure to inflation, theft, loss, wastage, emotion, not enough cash, exposure to fluctuations in the market. You pay taxes because you're working for money. Ah, uh, Robert. They tell you to save money. Do you know why they tell you to save money? I don't know. It's the banks run the world. The rich run the world. So let's say you save $1 US or 1 Euro, 1 Yen. The banking system can lend out 10. Then they tell you to save money. So they, they want you to save money so they can lend out your money 10 times. So your dollar became worthless 10 times over.
What do you think? Um, all I can say to that is I completely agree. Robert Kiyosaki was a bit of a grumpy bugger on that interview. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> and maybe he's earned the right to be. And maybe he doesn't care anymore about what people think. But his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and his teaching on the financial system and how it works, to me, is accurate. And why would you want to save your money if inflation is more than interest? Think about it. If inflation is more than interest, you lose money saving money. Are the banks going to tell you that? No. Are the banks going to tell you that when you give them your pound or dollar or yen, they're going to lend it out 10 times so they can make on it? Are they going to tell you that? No. Are they going to tell you that your money is at risk putting it in the bank? No. They're going to tell you that it's insured. But is it really? Let's wait and see in the next recession or banking crisis. Let's wait and see how safe people's money really is in the bank. Because at the moment, what happens when banks go under is they get bailed out, which means you pay to bail the banks out. Now, the banks, the central banks, the system, it's ingenious. So the cartel of central banks have set up a system where they can make money out of nothing. They can lend it to you. They can invest it out. They can draw in your own money that you worked for. You gave your life, i.e. time, for this money. You give it to the banks under the guise of savings and interest and pension and future and security. And they can frivolously lend and invest that out become insolvent, go bust, and then you're going to pay to bail them out of going bust, i.e. the taxpayer is what a bailout is. A bailout is when tens of billions of pounds gets pumped back into a bank to bail it out. Where do those tens of billions of pounds that the government give to the banks to bail them out, where does that come from? You, me, you. That's a really freaking clever system. And that's why the governments and the central banks aren't independent. You are led to believe that the central banks and the governments are independent. They're not. They are in cohorts. They are a cartel. They have protective legislation, which means they can trade insolvently and be frivolous with your money. And then if they lose your money, they can take more of your money to bail them out of losing your money. This is the system, and it's a fucking ingenious business model. I don't really have a problem with it. I have a problem if you don't know how it works. Because actually the knowledge that the central banks and the system had in order to create this very smart business model, you can learn from this. So I go to these banks that usually go to you, the bank goes to you, lures you in to deposit your money with them. 
I do the opposite. I go to them and lure them in to give their money to me in the form of a loan for a property. So whilst I've got exposure, they've got risk. So when your savings are with the bank, you're taking all the risk because they've got your money. But when I go to the bank and say, lend me 15 million for this property project, I've got exposure, but they're risking their money. So I'm playing the banks at their own game. And that's what the rich do. And that's what Robert Kiyosaki talks about. Right. Should we end with a quick fire? Let's do it. If the system is rigged, if the money matrix is real, can someone ever truly achieve financial freedom? Yeah. Yeah, you can. When you make passively or recurring from assets more money than your cost of living, you are technically financially free, whether it's through the matrix or not. And there's financial security, financial independence, financial freedom, and financial opulence. So security is where you have savings and investments and maybe enough money from assets to cover a humble life. Independence is where you have independence. You can do some things you choose. Freedom is what you want, when you want, where you want, and opulence is you can experience all the finer things in life. So people talk about this matrix whereby the only way to be financially free is to be outside of the matrix. But that's almost impossible. Like, think about it. If I want to be outside the matrix, I need to grow my own food because the food system is part of the matrix. I need to heal myself if I'm ever ill because the health service is a part of the matrix. I need to create my own form of money because money is part of the matrix. I need to have my own assets unrelated to the matrix. It's impossible. So what you do is you use the matrix to build your assets and your income and your lifestyle in a way that serves your personal goals and freedoms and desires. I still go to matrix-related banks to get loans. I still have a matrix-related bank account. I still rely on matrix-related food industry and healthcare industry. I still pay taxes to the matrix. And I'm not, you know, what they call the matrix. But I have independence and freedom and other forms. I have form of money in art, form of money in watches, form of money in cars, form of money in gold. You know, we talk about these things a lot. So I have some forms of wealth which are independent of the matrix, but still need the matrix. But if the matrix deems you to be a threat, just like what they did with Roman Abramovich and Andrew Tate, they will come for your bank accounts. They will come for your real estate. They will come for your watches. They will come for your cars. They will shut everything down. Then what? So can you ever truly have financial freedom in this matrix if it is true, if the system is rigged? Um, well, with money from Russia, I don't know for sure if Roman Abramovich's money was all earned by himself or if he was in some kind of partnership with Putin and the Russian government. I don't know. But 
it's only the UK that Abramovich was essentially exiled from. And so Abramovich and Putin and whoever within Russia can go and create monopolies and commerce and industry and exchange in 199 other countries. So Putin, Russia and Abramovich haven't been cancelled by the matrix because they're very powerful people in their own states. But the UK put them under temporary exile, if you like. <laughs> um, temporary, you mean permanent. <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? We'll see how long it takes. Because here's the thing. London, one of the best and biggest tax havens in the world, said to all the Russians, come to London, buy our football clubs, buy our real estate, bring billions in revenue. And we don't really know what you did over here, but we're okay with it. And then when we go to war with, well, we, it's not our war, but when there's a war between Ukraine and Russia, we're like, oh, it's inconvenient now for us to welcome you into our state. So sell the football club and go back to Russia. We were quite happy to accept the money in. So yeah, bit of hypocrisy there maybe. Um, what was the question? Can you ever achieve financial freedom if the matrix is real? Because it controls everything, it can shut you down. So, that's Abramovich discussed. Now Andrew Tate discussed. Andrew Tate um, has openly, regularly criticised the matrix and the system and gained hundreds of millions of followers and billions of internet searches and is maybe currently the most notorious person for challenging whatever this matrix is. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be a critic of the matrix. You don't have to go and attack publicly this system. You can just learn how the system works and build your own hybrid machine of learn and leverage the system, become free of the system. So it's not like everybody's destiny is what happened with Andrew Tate. Most people's destiny isn't. Only the most independently powerful people alive are likely even to be noticed. But I don't even know if there is a system and I don't even know who controls the system because you and I on virtually every podcast ask people who controls the world and no one can name anyone. And when they do name figures, they're just guessing. Rothschild, you know, Schwab, Gates, but they're just guessing. None of us really know. A smart way to live your life 
is to work out how our system works and work out how you can leverage it to your advantage and go and do it. And do it in a way that doesn't get you too much notoriety. Like I talk a lot about the system, but I, I don't really attack it. Like, let's be honest. I don't really attack it. Like, I think this is a pretty good invention. It's a great tool. I like the fact that we have a good um, military defence in this country. You know, I take for granted my security and freedom because of the money invested by our state into our military and our maybe alliance with America. We shouldn't take that for granted. Not every country has that safety and security. So the system serves as much as it hinders. So it's somewhat of a great paradox. At times, our system has generated a really good free healthcare system called the NHS, but now that's fucked. At times, the tax has been fair, but now it's unfair. But, you know, we've had a lockdown that needs to be paid for, and we've got a very highly devaluing currency, and we're in times of great change and evolution turning into revolution. One thing is for sure, though, people are unhappy with the system. It is at fever pitch. People feel overwhelmingly strongly that the system isn't serving the people. It isn't for the good of the people. Taxes are too high. The NHS is broken. We're in too much debt. The media has too much control. There's too much spin. And this is not uncommon over history. And usually things like this lead towards some kind of revolution, political revolution, war. And we've had it really good for decades. We've taken for granted our freedom, our liberty, the ease of the economy, the ease to borrow money. And the world is changing now. And a lot of people will see that as bad, but there's equal opportunity in that. Quick fire, because Katie is messaging me. <laughs> the meeting we have should have had about 10 minutes That's ago. That's all right. So super Hit Let's just get through this. Would you, rather have, would you rather have 100% of your net worth in crypto or fiat? Fiat. Fiat is proven and less volatile and less risky than cryptocurrency. Now, by the way, if you said to me, would I rather have 100% of my wealth in fiat currency or Bitcoin? versus 100% of my wealth in fiat currency or all other forms of crypto, that would be a different question. But as of yet, Bitcoin is not ubiquitous enough and cryptocurrencies aren't proven enough. And give me 100% of my net worth in fiat and I'm going to go and put that into assets as much as I can. It's too, you're too exposed to risk. You're too exposed to risk having 100% of your net worth in cryptocurrency. Is real estate the GOAT and can you ever have true wealth without it? Real estate is still, over long-term history, one of the most proven forms of wealth and appreciating asset. Gold is another one. But go back thousands of years and real estate is proven to be secure. Banks will use it as collateral and security and lend you money on it. It has gone up 
five to 10% a year every year for a thousand years plus. Gold similar, it's been precious and valuable and exchanged over centuries. And most other forms of asset and wealth don't have that history, that longevity, that utility. One of the reasons real estate has been such a valuable asset for so long is we need it. It's a utility, i.e. you need shelter. If oxygen became scarce, it would all of a sudden become valuable because we need it. And at the moment in the UK, real estate, and at the moment in the UK, real estate is scarce and we need it. That's why it keeps going up. Last question. To that camera right there, can you give your ultimate red pill advice to someone about money? Is red pill the anti-matrix choice? My red pill advice on money is to build independent wealth with assets that produce income in vehicles that you can protect against the system or at least you have full ownership rights of physical gold watches physical assets and items which if money became worthless what would we use to trade those things are always valuable now the blue pill advice to money and wealth is by making money within the system, by getting a good job or building a business and having income from assets that covers your expenses and gives you security, freedom, independence or opulence. But the problem with that is they can always put taxes up or they can always revoke ownership rights and therefore you're exposed. So if you've enjoyed this discussion, let us know in the comments what you've enjoyed. Let us know what you agree with. Let us know what you disagree with. And let us know in the comments what content you would like us to cover. We are much more in the comments now on this channel and we wanna bring content that you value. Also, if you like this video, subscribe to the channel, turn the notification bell on and help bring us more people. We will bring you more content. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.